Well, it's good to be here. Isn't that amazing stuff? I mean, exciting to see what's going on in the lives of our kids, the lives of our families. And I'll tell you what, I'm just blown away and very thankful. I am also thankful to be here today as we close out our series on the parables. And as I was thinking about the parable we're focusing on today, I couldn't help but think about a particular encounter from my past. You see, about 12 years ago, uh, we were living in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, My kids at that point, Daniel was 10, Melody was 8. My wife, Carol, was homeschooling them. And as we were living there, we were kind of new to Lansing at that point. And uh, Carol got to know this other woman who was also homeschooling her kids. And so they thought, they, they came up with this great idea that they would, like, have a road trip together. And so the moms would take all the kids, they'd head out east to go to those historical sites that are out there from our nation's past, and uh, that's what they did. Uh, for an entire week, they were, they were gone, and I was left home, of course, to work to pay for their vacation. I'm not bitter, I just bring it up every so often, and, uh, and so they're out having a good time. I'm missing my family like crazy. I just love my kids, love my family, and so I could hardly wait for them to come home. And then the day came when they were to arrive. In fact, they were to be home within the next hour. I didn't know exactly when. And and so I'm sitting there in the living room waiting. And then the door opened from the garage. You could hear not just footsteps, but running. Somebody was running. And right around the corner, sure enough, was my 8-year-old daughter, Melody. She saw me sitting in the far part of the living room there, and she just started running towards me. And I'll tell you what, I was so excited to see her, and it seemed like she was so excited to see me. And so now she leaps across the room, and I got my arms wide open. And just as she hits my chest, and just as I wrap my arms around her, she says, Daddy, can I have a bunny? And suddenly the power of that moment wasn't quite so powerful. The beauty of that moment wasn't quite so beautiful. You see, I desperately wanted to see her. I wanted to be with her. Melody, she wanted to be with me and see me for what she could get from me. And it kind of took kind of the joy out of the moment a bit for me. And as I thought about that over time, I thought, you know what, is that how I approach God? Is that how we approach God when it comes to our prayers. I mean, God's waiting for us. He's longing to hear from us and to see us. And so the time comes and we think it's right. We're going to approach him. And so we run towards him and we leap across the room. And just as we land into his arms in our moment of prayer, we say, God, can I have this? Can I have that? Because in our minds, we're approaching God for a gift, a gift and not a surprise gift, mind you. Uh, No, no, we don't like surprises when it comes to our prayers. We're approaching God for what we want him to put into this box and then wrap for us. We want that gift. And then when we don't get the gift we're praying for, well, then we get a little bit uh, bitter sometimes. Why wouldn't God give this to me? I mean, isn't the Bible clear? Wasn't Jesus clear that I'm supposed to seek God? I'm supposed to pray, you know, specifically for what I want, and then he's going to give it to me? Isn't that how prayer works? Does it work another way? That was kind of the question the disciples had as they watched Jesus. Of course, Jesus prayed more than you and I brush our teeth. And they saw this special relationship he had with his father. And they wanted that kind of relationship for themselves. It was all hinged on prayer. And so they came to Jesus one day and wanted to know, okay, how does this work? How does prayer manifest itself? Because we all know that God's good. We all know he wants to give us a good gift, but is the gift he wants to give us and is the gift that we're praying for 
one and the same. That leads us to Luke chapter 11. Can you turn there with me? Luke chapter 11 with your iPhones, iPads, Bibles, whatever you got there. Luke chapter 11. And let's turn to this event that uh, happens. And what we're going to come to see is eventually this parable that Jesus tells. And so in Luke chapter 11, starting verse 1, uh, they frame the story this way. Luke does. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, because this is the reality. I mean, if you search the Gospels, here's what you find. That this is the only time in the entire Gospels where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them anything at all. I mean, he's a rabbi. Why wouldn't they approach him for other things? I mean, I'd like to think that if I would have been a disciple back then, I certainly would have asked him. I would have said, Jesus, you know what, can you teach me how to walk on water? I mean, that was like pretty cool how you did that. Can you teach me how to do that? You know, and I don't drink a lot of wine, but when we have people over for dinner, sometimes we'll buy wine. It's kind of expensive. So, Jesus, can you teach me how to turn water into wine? Because I'm Dutch, that would save me a lot of money, and that would work for me. So, can you teach me how to do that? Can you teach me how to see what's going on in the heart of a person? Because I've seen you do this over and over again. And if I could learn how to do that from you, well, then it would save me from so much relational pain. Yet of all the things they could have asked Jesus to teach them, the only thing they asked about was prayer. Can you teach us how to pray? And not just how to pray, but as John taught his disciples how to pray. So what's so special about John's matter of praying? Well, you've got to remember that Jesus was a rabbi. John was a rabbi. And every rabbi had his own way of doing things. And so if you're going to look to follow a particular rabbi, you would look at their behaviors, how they did whatever they did to decide if you wanted to follow them. Every rabbi had a certain way of of eating, a certain way of sleeping, a certain way of deciphering the scriptures, a certain way of walking, and most certainly a certain way of praying. And so the request that they were making of Jesus that day was basically this, Lord Teach us your manner of praying, as John taught his own disciples his own manner of praying. They wanted the kind of relationship that Jesus had with his father. And so what does Jesus do? He turned to them and he says, well, then when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now Luke's accounting here of of what Jesus teaches is what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. In fact, the more full version, if you will, is found in the Gospel of Matthew, the one that we most commonly utilize. And even though, you know, Jesus taught this as a model prayer for his disciples to follow when they prayed, what we've come to do over time is we've recited this prayer, haven't we? It's not a wrong thing to do. We've recited the prayer in our churches. We've recited the prayer in our homes, sometimes weddings or funerals. It's been a prayer that we've recited. And yet, the intent was to teach a model of prayer. And so, since the intent here this morning is to focus on the parable that follows, let's take just a few moments out to take a look at Christ's model, what he taught us, so it can help us when we pray. He says, whenever we come and we pray, we need to start by saying, Our Father. Another way to say that is we are family members who are loved by God. And so when you come before God and you pray, you say, God, I cannot believe this, that I am your son. 
I am your daughter. You've adopted me. You are my father. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you, and that's who I am. And I cannot believe I'm in this relationship with you. Thank you for loving me that much. You're my father. Hallowed be your name. Another way to say that is we are worshipers of God because he is holy. And so as we approach God, we say, you, you are not only my father, and you are not only a good father, but you are a perfect father. There is no sin, no error, no flaw in you, which means, Father, that I can trust you. I can trust you. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. This is a huge part of this prayer. It basically says this, that we are participants in his kingdom expansion. The idea is when we come to God in prayer and and hold on to this, this is really important, that we're saying, you know what? I'm not coming to build up my kingdom. I'm coming to build up yours. It's huge that we understand this. And so God, how do you want to use my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my life in order to expand your kingdom? Because that's what I want to be about. Our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Basically, we are dependent upon God to give us life. So God, thank you for the next breath that I have. Thank you for the next meal that I have. I'm able to live and to breathe and have being because of who you are and what you are doing. It all comes from you. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Now, this is a big one. It basically says this, that we are forgiven to the extent that we forgive others. Have you ever really taken that in? It means that when you come to God in prayer, you're saying, God, if I have any bitterness against anybody, any unforgiveness against anybody, show me who they are so I can forgive them because, God, I need forgiveness from you. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Another way to say that is we are relying upon God to help us differentiate between right and wrong. So God, here's what I'm thinking about doing, but I I just want to make sure. Is this the right way to follow? Is this the wrong way to follow? Because I want to walk in your will, in your way. This is the model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and us to utilize as we pray. And so before we go into the parable that follows, the parable that tells us how we do this practically, let's set our hearts in the right position. And let's come before him in prayer as we sing this Lord's Prayer together. Will you stand with us? Father, we thank you that you long to hear us. You long to respond to us. Lord, help us to approach you in a way that honors you. That we would approach you in a way that says it's all about you. It's all about your kingdom. It's all about your will. It's all about what you are doing. Help us, Lord, to be intent on on our part, whatever we can do to expand your kingdom instead of trying to expand our own. So, God, we thank you for this model prayer that Jesus gave us. And we thank you, Lord, for the teaching that follows. Set our hearts now in the right direction to hear and to respond to you. What you have to to say to us now, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. So after giving this model prayer, 
Jesus then says, okay, here's what it kind of looks like as you live this out uh, day in and day out. And so it says, Jesus said to them, suppose, here's the beginning of the parable, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. So this is the beginning of the story. Let me kind of frame it this way. I want you to imagine that you are asleep at night in your home. You went to bed perhaps at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, whatever, but now you've been sleeping for a good hour or more. You're kind of you know, drifting off into all the dreams and all the beauty of all that when suddenly you are awakened because you hear this knock at your front door. It startles you because no one knocks at your door that late at night. You begin to wonder what's going on. And so you get out of bed. You look out your window where you can kind of catch a view of your front door, but you see this dark kind of ominous figure there. You can't tell who it is. And so what do you do? You do what any wise person would do. You grab your baseball bat and you head to the front door. And when you get to the front door, you look through your peephole and it's there that you see somebody that you haven't seen in quite some time. It's somebody that you used to kind of hang out with when you lived in Atlanta, Georgia some years ago, but you haven't seen them since you moved here to Cincinnati. And now they're standing at your front door. And so you open up the door. And you kind of, you know, greet them, but like, hey, like, why are you here right now? And then they begin to tell you that they were on, they were traveling from Atlanta up to see, you know, people in Michigan, family in Michigan. And on the way, their car broke down. And so they had to call the tow truck. The the car's been towed. They had no idea they were going to be having to, you know, stay overnight in Ohio. And and so now they're, they were just wondering, like, where could we stay? We have no money to pay for a hotel. And then they told you, they remembered that you live here that you moved here to Cincinnati. So they brought up your contact information in their iPhone. They found somebody nice enough to drive them to your house. They dropped them off, and now they're standing right before you at your front door. And then they say, you know what? Here's what we're wondering, and we don't have any money. Can we stay here tonight, and can we sleep? Do you got a room for us? And you know what? If, if you do, this would be really nice as well. We haven't eaten in like over eight hours. I mean, the whole car breaking down and everything, we haven't had a chance to eat. We are so incredibly hungry. So can you also, like, feed us a meal right now as well? We're really, really hungry. And so as a good Christian would do, you welcome them in. You kind of show them your guest room that you kind of make into one because you weren't planning on anyone being there. And then while they're kind of putting their things in the room, you run to the kitchen to open up your refrigerator to see what's there in order to feed them. And it's then that you remember, man, grocery shopping day is tomorrow. I don't really have anything to offer them, certainly not a meal. So what in the world are you going to do? I mean, it's way too late to call anybody. And it's then that something dawns on you. It's then that you remember that your next-door neighbor had told you once, they said, you know what, if ever you need anything at all, do not hesitate to stop by and ask me. And so you thought, you know what, I've never capitalized on that offer Now seems like a really good time. And so you walk out your front door through the darkness. You walk to your next door neighbor and you knock on their front door, which of course startles him and wakes him up. And now he's wondering what's going on. So he looks through his window to see this dark kind of ominous figure standing there. He can't tell who it is. And so he goes and he grabs his baseball bat and he heads to the front door. But he doesn't have a peephole to look through. He he doesn't know who's standing on the other side. So he refuses to unlock the door because he he doesn't think this whole deal is safe. And so now you begin to speak to each other through this locked door. 
and you explain who you are. You know, you're his next door neighbor. I know we haven't really seen each other in about three or four months, uh, but it's your next door neighbor. I didn't know someone was going to stop over in the middle of the night. They need food. Do you have any food? I'll gladly pay you back later, but can you just give us some food because they're really, really hungry? It's at this point, your next door neighbor thinks you are completely nuts. And how do they respond to you in verse 7? They say, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And now suddenly you've got a problem, more than one. Not only are you losing sleep, not only are your friends that showed up at your front door, not only are they losing sleep, and not only are they incredibly hungry, but now your neighbor is really ticked off at you. I mean, so much for getting a cup of sugar next time you've got to finish out that recipe, if you know what I'm talking about. They are really, really angry. And as in response to this, Jesus said, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, key words there, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Shameless audacity in the original Greek. This is the only use of this word in the entire New Testament. People wondered, what exactly did Christ mean here? In the NIV, they call it shameless audacity. Others, they look at this and say, well, he must have meant persistence. The idea that you're going to be so persistent that even though he says no, you just keep knocking until he relents and gives you what you're looking for. Other people said, well, no, it kind of means boldness. We've all known bold people before. We sometimes don't like bold people, but you want a bold person on your team when the need calls for it. And so some people say, well, this is boldness here. Well, whatever the word is here, it really means that you're going to keep going after what you need, no matter the cost. You keep knocking. You keep asking until eventually your next-door neighbor just relents. It's okay. And just to get you off his back, right, he gives you the food so that you can feed your friends. So far in the parable, then, what is Christ trying to say? Is Christ trying to draw a parallel between your grumpy next-door neighbor and God? I mean, is God like your neighbor that gets irritated when you come to him and ask for something at a time he's not expecting it? Or or is, is God always sleeping, which requires you to wake him up so he can do the world some good? I mean, what's going on here? Is, is he drawing a parallel? Well, no. What Jesus is doing here is he's making a comparison See, if your grumpy old neighbor next door needs to be badgered into doing a good thing, what Jesus is saying is, how much more graciously will your heavenly Father respond to you when you need him? Key word there is need him. He's going to respond. And so Jesus says this, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. That sounds like a guarantee. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He's saying, you come to God like that. You come boldly before God, because remember who you are, and remember who He is. He's a good, good Father, that's who He is. And you're loved by Him, and that's who you are. So you can come boldly before Him, asking The writer of Hebrews stated it this way. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of what? Need. Not want. In our time of 
need. We come boldly before God in prayer. And how are we to come boldly? Well, he says we are to ask, we are to seek, and we are to knock. Now, in the original Greek here, it's placed in the present tense, which really means this, that Jesus is saying you need to consistently ask, you need to consistently seek, and you need to consistently knock. Why? Well, so that you can get one of these, a good gift. That's why you ask, that's why you seek, and that's why you knock. In fact, I grew up in a faith movement as a kid that said, you know what, here's the deal. If you ask boldly enough, if you seek God intently enough, if you knock long enough, and if you have enough faith, which isn't actually in the text, God is going to give you exactly what you asked for. This is who God is. You ask, you seek, you knock. He's going to give you what you ask for. It's a good gift he gives to you every time if you have enough faith. Is that what's really going on here, though? Is it? Because here's the truth. When you take a look at the context of the story, when Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, he means to come to God boldly in your pursuit of him, not what you can get. From him. You see, God is the good gift. You are pursuing him. So when you're running towards him in prayer, as you're leaping across the room and as he takes you in his arms, you're not saying, okay, daddy, can I have this? Can I have that? But no, you are wrapping your arms around him because God is the gift. You seek him first above anything else. That's why Jesus also taught, and you recognize this scripture, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So seek him first, and then what you need will be given to you. So it's in the context of this relationship where you place him as the focus, the center of your life, that Jesus tells us, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And you have to wonder, every time? Is the door open Every time? What's well, a matter of how you're looking at the question? The answer would be, well, yes and no. Yes, that the door is going to be open to you. The doorway of conversation, the doorway of prayer, the, the doorway of relationship. God is opening that door to you every single time. But does it mean that the door is going to be open to you in a way that you're going to get what you're asking for every single time? Well, the answer is no. It all depends, of course, on how you are pursuing God and how well you know him because you've been pursuing him. You would know what to ask for. Think about it. When you're a kid growing up, I did this, so I'm just going to admit it. I did this uh, many, many times, and I'm sure some of you can relate as well. When you're a kid growing up, and if you were fortunate enough to have a father and a mother together in, in the same home, and, and in your mind, you wanted something. Now, you were too young probably as I was, to, to kind of put it in you know, two different categories. Is this a want or a need? Because for you as a kid, it felt like a need. You had to have it. And even though it felt like a need to you, as you thought about it, and you thought, well, you know what? I know my dad, and he is not going to say yes to this. He's not. So what did I do? What did you probably do? You went to your mom, Right? And you, and you can relate here. And you go to your mom and you try to get her to say yes. So by the time the dad actually shows up, they get in a fight with each other because she kind of said yes. When you knew all along your father was going to say no because you didn't really need it. But if that's what it takes to get what you want, 
Well, I guess that's the price that needs to be paid. They can have their conflict. You get what you want. As a kid, I did this many times over. All because I knew my father. I knew him. And I knew what he would say yes to. I knew what he would say no to. Because, frankly, we're in a position as a family growing up that all he could afford to give me were my needs, not my wants. One man who um, was really helpful to me as I was kind of studying this and putting this together, he writes this. I think this is so good. He says, I do not want God to give me what I want. I trust God to give me what I need. The truth is, he is infinitely wiser than I am. If we always get what we ask for, I, for one, will cease to pray. Wow. If we're always going to get what we're asking for, this gift that I want, if we're always going to get it, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to stop praying altogether. Why? Well, because we don't all the time, just as a child didn't, we don't all the time know what our wants are and our needs are. Our wants feel like our needs, and so that's why we go after them, but we can't tell the difference. And just think about it in your own life. If you got everything that you asked God for throughout your life, you probably wouldn't be married to the person you're married to right now. Not because you didn't want to marry them, but because you had met somebody else previously. They're saying, oh God, give that person to me. If I only had that person, and then that didn't work out, and then maybe five years later you met your your spouse that you're married to now, somebody much better suited for you. If God answered every single one of your prayers, well, then you probably would have different kids as well. The kids you're, you love, you wouldn't even know them because you'd have a different set of kids. You probably would have a different job because the job that you have now, as you look back, it wasn't the first job you prayed to God for. You wanted this one and that didn't work out. And then you got this job over here, which is actually a better job for you. But if he would have given you this one, where in the world would you be right now? If you got everything that you asked God for, your life would be this way and that way. It'd be like kind of all messed up. And in light of this, Jesus says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And again, some people look at those verses and they say, see, there it is. Jesus promises us that God is not going to give us something different than what we asked for. He's going to give us whatever we pray for. He's going to give it every time. It's right there in the text. But I want you to look at the text again. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, in our minds, in our Western minds, I talked about this a couple years ago, when we look at something in our Western minds, something is what it is. So a car is a car, a plane is a plane, a house is a house, whatever. In the Hebrew mind or the Jewish mind, something is what it does. Something is what it does. So then, what does a snake or a scorpion do? It bites you, it attacks you, it can kill you. Most definitely, they can harm you. And so the point that's being made here is that God is good. There is nothing in him, nothing in him at all that can give you a bad thing, something that's going to harm you. He just can't do it. It's not in his character. And so while you think this thing is a good thing, it might very well be a bad thing. And God cannot give you this. He cannot harm you. 
He can't. Out of his goodness, he has to give you good gifts, good things. Not necessarily what you're praying for because you don't know that it's actually bad for you. Think about this. If your child comes to you, says, okay, mom, dad, you know, can we have broccoli tonight for dinner? And instead, you put out hot dogs and fries for them. You have to wonder, like, what kind of parent would do that if they're asking for broccoli? But on the other side of the coin, you'd be wondering, okay, like, what kind of kid asks for broccoli, right? And from a spiritual standpoint, I would say, well, it would be a child who knows his father's heart. Knows that that father can only give you good things. And hot dogs and french fries don't necessarily fall into the good category, right? Jesus then ends the parable this way and pays special attention. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Did you get the curveball there? Wait a second. Like, I wasn't asking for the Holy Spirit. Okay, I was asking for my son to make it into the baseball team. I was asking for me to get a new job. You know, I was asking to win the lottery. I wasn't asking for the Holy Spirit. Okay, so why is he giving me something I didn't ask for? And on top of that, if the good gift that he's going to give me is the Holy Spirit, well then, why would he give me something I already have? Uh, As a Christian, don't I already have the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is yes. Paul writes very clearly. He says, when you believed, you're marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So yes, you already have the Holy Spirit, but what Jesus is saying, remember, in the Western mind, something is what it is. In the Jewish mind, something is what it does. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you if you ask, seek, and knock? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is God, so you're seeking Him first. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit, well, let's talk about it. Because a few verses later, Paul writes, He prayed that the Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know Him better. The more you know your Father, the more you're going to know what to pray for. Because you realize He can only give you good things. He cannot harm you. He can't give you a bad thing. And so you're going to have revelation and wisdom to know the heart of God and how he can respond to you. A bit later in this same book, uh, Paul writes that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The idea, he's going to give you the strength that you need to face what comes your way. And so the good gift, you're asking, you're seeking, and you're knocking. For whom? God. He is the gift that you're looking for. You seek him first. He is first and foremost. And then what you need will be given to you. And then what he wants to give you, this good gift, is himself in the form of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Which means this, friends. That you'll have wisdom to know the difference between your wants and your needs. And strength to walk the journey, whatever comes your way. See, the big idea of this passage is this. When we pray boldly, seeking him only... God's Spirit will provide us what we need. It links all the way back to the Lord's Prayer. So when you pray, let me ask you, are are you pursuing God for your version of a bunny? Whatever it is that you want? Or are you pursuing Him? 
Because if you come to him, remember this, when you come to him, you're saying, God, you are my father, you're a good, good father. That's who you are, and I'm loved by you. And you're holy, which means I can trust you. There is no flaw in you. So your kingdom come. It's not about my kingdom and me getting more of these for me. It's about me participating with you in your kingdom. So God, how do you want to use me? And so your prayers are more about, you know, more than just these little things that I want for myself. But because you know the heart of God, you're seeking him first, as Jesus says, his kingdom. And then as an outflow, all these good things that you need will come to you. But you've got to seek him and his kingdom first. And so in light of that, let's end our time. Let's end this series together declaring where the focus is. It's not on us. It's not on our kingdom. It's on his kingdom. Will you stand with us? Let's sing this together.